so the question was you know do i think freedom is an illusion and um yeah i think freedom is an illusion um i agree with that statement you know when i think of the word freedom um you know i think it's it's the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved you know when i think of the word and also you know another thing that i wanted to say as well is just you know, when we talk about the preamble of South Africa, you know, where it states South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Mm-hmm. Yet South Africa has one of the highest levels of inequality and continued racialized poverty, you know. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, hospitals, you know, access, equal access to, to health care. Um, the truth of the matter is, not everyone in this country has equal access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 the difference is is quite is quite big. You know, if if you go to if you visit public hospitals, you'll see majority of the people there are black people, and mm-hmm. we know that with our public hospitals, you know, sometimes they you know there are situations where they can't accommodate all patients. So you'll find, you know, there are situations where patients have to, you know, sleep in the passages and stuff like that because they just aren't enough beds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the for the middle class black person, you know, or the rich black person who can't afford um, medical aid gets the premium health care. Mm-hmm. But, you know, majority of the black people can't afford, you know, private hospitals or can't afford medical aid. Where and then, as opposed to going to a private hospital, majority of the people there are white people. You know, um, the black people that you see there are the ones that I mentioned just now, the ones that form part of this middle class or upper middle class or rich, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, you know, if you if you have money for these things, then you know you you get this, you get to enjoy this, you know, you get to enjoy these 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 rights. But unfortunately, if you, you know, if you don't have a certain um, position or certain status, you know, um, in society, then unfortunately, you know, it's still going to be the same as it was back then. And to Mm -hmm. think that black people form 80% of the total population, Mm -hmm. um, yet we're the ones that are experiencing the highest levels of poverty in this country. You know, yeah. and yeah, man, I think also if you think, if you think about it this way, many white people remain in the highly privileged positions they occupied in 1994, you know, mm-hmm. and majority of poor remain black and the majority of white people remain rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that we can also look at is just the unequal access to housing, you know, many, mm-hmm. many black people or many people who who are not white you know they have unequal access to housing um and even the housing that they have been given by the state it's inadequate housing you know so it's it 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 really shows that we you know some people are getting to enjoy you know this new south africa or this um this, this freedom which i think is an illusion and majority of the people in the country are not getting to enjoy, you know, this um, this freedom or the so-called freedom. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. It's also another thing as well is education, tertiary education, mm-hmm. um, which is probably what, you know, what started up the, what's this, the Fees Must Fall campaign and movement is because we, you know, black people don't have equal access to education. You know, many mm-hmm. times black, you know, black families can't afford to send their children to university. Because it's university fees, it's res, it's textbooks, you know, it's it's monthly allowance, you know, for, mm-hmm. for, for upkeep and stuff like that. And unfortunately, if majority of black people are still living in poverty, it's it's a very high ask for them to be able to also, you know, put their kids through university. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, obviously there are incentives and there are, you know, measures that have been put into place, like with, you know, NASFIS and, you know, other bursary schemes and stuff. But it's it's not enough, you know, because um, you find that in many situations, white people are able to put their kids through varsity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'm not going to say it's easy for them, but majority of them, you know, they put their kids through varsity with ease you know there are certain situations where you know they're not as privileged as other groups of people but if we're talking about the majority of white people they are able to put you know their kids through school and varsity so and most people on nasfis are black students you know mm-hmm. so it shows the 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 levels of inequality even in the modern day south africa so yeah yeah i think um i think to even like back up your point uh, I had like some stats and figures that I just like wrote down yeah. <laughs> to kind of just get like a brief idea. So I think it was stats essay that estimated in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, media population would have been 58.78 million people in the country altogether. Yeah. And uh, of those, 80.7% were black Africans by the broad definition, and mm-hmm. white people formed 7.9%. So what I found interesting uh, when I looked at this was that uh, South Africa has three basic poverty lines that they use, right, to to monitor poverty in the country. You have your food poverty line, then you have Mm -hmm. your upper and lower bound poverty line. Obviously, the food poverty line being like the the lowest, lowest, you know, then your lower bound poverty line, your upper bound poverty line, then, you know, it differs in terms of like, um, how much these things would be. So in 2015, when they actually uh, amounted it, said in 2015, over half of the population was living in poverty. To be exact, that was about 55.5%. This was in 2015. Yeah. And 9 out of 10 of the people who were living in poverty were black. Understand? Sure. Uh, the exact percentage at the time was actually 93%. So basically, bringing all these poverty lines together, they understand, 9 out of the 10 people who were under poverty black but we form 80% of the population in the country then it was what was further interesting was that white people had the lowest uh, levels of poverty in the country altogether with only 1% of the group living living under the upper bound poverty line sure. so yeah. even when we begin to equate the idea of poverty between mm. um, black people and white people even the yeah. poverty in, its, in itself is unequal you understand? Mm-hmm. So a, a white person's idea of poverty would have been used, is measured by the upper bound poverty line. You understand? Whereas sure. black people 
they are under the basic food poverty line. This is like the sure. basic food poverty line obviously gets adjusted each year. I think right now it's around 500 and something. This is 500 okay. something for the whole month. You know what I mean? So I think... Uh, yes, I saw that. I think it's, it's 530 it's, something. Yeah, 530 um, something. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's well. definitely, I think, I think it's the way that you used to say, like, it's, it's racialized poverty. And yeah. uh, I think we, we, we're choosing to, I don't know, I, I think there's a lot that has to be done. And um, one of the questions I was actually thinking as we were just going through this is that it's obvious that uh, there's racialized poverty, right? Yeah. And, uh, I know one of, the, one of the things that they try to do, I think you did give an example of NASFIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, in how we know how NASFIS works and the working of NASFIS. There's a lot of yeah. things that aren't necessarily like uh, done thoroughly or through and through for, for students yeah. people. Uh, this is something that everyone knows. But one of the questions mm-hmm. that I actually wanted to find out for, in your own regard, uh, I yeah. know one of the things that was put in place was the BEE, so the Black Economy mm-hmm. Department, uh, which was later then um, changed to the Triple BEE, which was the Broad-Based yeah. Black Economy yeah. Department. Mm-hmm. So... My feelings towards that, okay, let me give my feelings and I think I'll open the platform to, like, to, for you to yeah. share. Is yeah. that obviously um, with the broad-based black economic empowerment, in my own regard, in my opinion, I thought that was very problematic for them to have done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, I say this because one thing that we need to understand when, when, we, when we deal with issues like this is that inequalities or all inequalities were not made equally. Do you understand? Yeah. So I think we did allude to this even uh, in the first segment to say that uh, if you look at black women, for instance, they are yeah. the ones who harbor the most out of all of us together. You know what I mean? Like even when we look at black men, we look at white women. When you look at black women, they harbor the most out of everyone altogether. You understand? Yeah. So it's clear and obvious to say that, okay, black women are less likely than the rest of the demographic to have certain opportunities to get certain things because they're yeah. black and they're women. So obviously, the idea that I'm just trying to allude to is that inequalities are not made equally, understand? So even mm-hmm. in terms of the suffering that we had to go through um, during the apartheid era, um, colored people as opposed to black people don't suffer the same. Indian yeah. people as opposed to black people don't suffer the same. So mm-hmm. with the, the broad-based black economy empowerment, I always felt like um, it spread out the, the, the opportunities to obviously groups that were also um, that were also oppressed to some extent, yeah, yes. yeah, but yeah. in doing that, it, what it also did, I felt like it took away our our opportunity to become equal as black people. Because what mm-hmm. you are then doing is you're spreading out the opportunities, yes, because other groups are oppressed. But the yeah. reason you had to have the BEE in the first place was because you understood that black people were oppressed and it's not it's not new information that black people were oppressed more than mm-hmm. other certain groups you know what i mean like yeah. other people of color were oppressed yes but to the extent we were expressed um, oppressed was very different you yeah. so i thought it was a very like uh i think with all reforms that we've done to this point mm-hmm. um i think they have not catered to black people specifically enough and they keep wanting to 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 derive and to deviate and say, okay, we're catering for black people and people of color and, 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 and. But you have to understand that when the oppression was happening, it was never a situation of um, these people and, and, and. It was an oppression towards black people specifically, to understand. Yeah. Everyone else kind of then kind of fell onto the bandwagon because they were not white, to understand. So the sure. oppression was, was targeted at black people, but then they also then suffered because they were non-white, 
So they were not mm. necessarily viewed as uh, as less than; they were just viewed as non-white. You understand? Yeah. So yeah. Indian people and colored people kind of fell in one group. And that's why you find like in a lot of places, um, even like colored areas. You know, like yeah. you know how like in certain places have like predominantly colored people. Yeah. Even in colored yeah. areas, the poverty there, you understand, is bad. But you yeah. cannot surmount it to be as bad as the poverty in maybe like rural black areas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I don't know what's your take on that or what's your, your thoughts on that. But in my own regard, I thought it was very um I thought it was very problematic to to have a situation where where you 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 want to where you wanna spread the opportunities or you wanna mm-hmm. spread the form of re- the reconciliation, but when the oppression was happening, it was not spread out evenly. Do you sure. know what I mean? So that was that's, that's my, my my take and my my own stance on that. So I don't know how you see it. Sure, that's a that's a powerful statement there. Um I think the first time I heard of Triple B E E was I think some I think it was high school in mm-hmm. business business studies. Mm-hmm. And you know, they explained what it was and you know the fact that it was more inclusive than, you know, the normal B E E. It was now it was it was more broad, so it was now extending to other racial groups which were previously disadvantaged uh, or oppressed. But, you know, I like the point that you mentioned how, you know, we weren't, when you look at black people, Indian people and colored people, we weren't oppressed at the same level, mm-hmm. you know. Black people were oppressed at a higher level than other, you know, other racial groups such as the Indian people and the colored people. And it's 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 not... I mean, me saying this is not to say that I'm trying to invalidate, mm. you know, other racial groups' experiences mm. and stuff. But there is a there's a there's a serious. I think there's a serious need um, of of change. And what I mean by that is that you, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when you look at black people, mm. on the point that I was making about them being um, previously disadvantaged that are higher level than the other groups, the Indian and the kind of groups. It's it's a thing of like more attention should should have been brought to that because it was a longer way for the black people to get to that position where I I say you know where they could be. The the word is not equal, mm-hmm. but where they could be on a similar standing ground. As you know, white people, it was a longer way for black people, or it's a longer way for black people than mm-hmm. colored and Indian people. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you look at um, demographics, majority of the total population of the country, you know, is black people. Mm-hmm. So many of them, you know, there's many more black people than any other racial group that's living in these informal settlements, in these inadequate housing. So I think. It was problematic. I also agree it was problematic because, yes, what you were saying about it taking attention away from, you know, um, from the situ- from the I think from the seriousness of the situation that black people, you know, there were supposed to be reforms that were put into place to help black people get to that place that, you know, they desire to be in order to change their circumstances. Mm-hmm. But I think once we made it inclusive and stuff like that, it it took away from that goal, which was obviously being tried, um, which was, um, which we were thriving to, to achieve. 
So what I mean by that, I just felt like I'm not saying that it is wrong for it to be inclusive, mm. but I just felt like there could have been a different way of going about it, you know. True. They could have separated it, you know what I mean? Mm. Because by us grouping it, it mm. then puts, you know, all these different um, racial groups that were previously dis- disadvantaged under one umbrella. Mm. <clears throat> and the truth of the matter, excuse me, the truth of the matter is... <clears throat> Excuse me. The truth of the matter is the struggles are not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the struggles are similar, but reality is the struggles are not the same. Mm-hmm. So by us, you know, putting all these three different groups under one umbrella, we are taking away from those individual struggles of those racial groups. You know, um, so with black people, the situation was dire. So it needed a dire reform. You know what I mean? It needed like hectic hectic reforms in a sense where we needed to look at the 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 the, the numbers and see how many people how many black people are still mm-hmm. living in informal settlements how many black people do not have clean and running water how many black people you know um don't have um you know access to healthcare and then the BEE alone could you know could look at um achieving you know, transformation in that regard for black people. Mm-hmm. And then there could have also been a, a separate, um, you know, a separate organization or separate reform aimed mm-hmm. at, you know, Indian people and yeah. separately one was aimed at colored people instead of grouping them in one, True. you know, in one box or under one umbrella. So that was my take on, on that. And the reason why I said that is because the struggles are similar, but the struggles are not the same. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I think exactly what you're saying. That I think in my, in my standing also, I think I initially thought like grouping maybe people of color mm-hmm. in one segment. But I think what you're also saying to say that even having colored people on their own, having uh, perhaps yeah. Indian yeah. people on their own, having maybe racially ambiguous people on their own, because mm-hmm. the struggles definitely were not the same. They were nowhere near the same. Yeah. And I think yeah. um, I think we see it a lot, even in our stats and figures, when we when we begin to understand. Mm-hmm. Because even going back to the to the one that we touched to say that nine out of ten people who are living under the poverty line were black, it clearly means yeah. that the the the, the remaining seven percent at the time that was uh, being narrated to or that was being touched on was yeah. the rest of um, the the other races. You understand? Yeah. Meaning that, yeah. which is a clear indication that even in their their suffering or in their oppression, it was nowhere near the same. Yeah. So, I think having having touched that. And I think also having maybe alluded to the idea of reform, what would mm-hmm. your idea of solutions that you think we could actually start to put in place or like ideas that you have to perhaps to perhaps like shorten this gap that currently exists or this inequality that currently exists in our country? Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. It's an interesting question. Mm. Um, I think it ultimately it goes back to the point that I made earlier, I think that's where it starts. So identifying um, the needs of, you know, um, the different groups that were racially oppressed. And once we identify the needs, you know, we then are able to formulate plans, you know, plans which will act in response to the different racial groups needs. Obviously, like I said, the, the needs are obviously similar. 
but you find that, you know, <clears throat> I don't have stats with me, but I'm, 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 I'm going to make the assumption that you find that, you know, in black communities, especially like black, poor black communities, mm-hmm. the, the income, you know, the, the, the average income in these households is probably the lowest out of all the racial groups mm-hmm. in this country, you know? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, we, we need reforms that are going to intentionally, uh, intentionally look at the, the, you know, the respective struggles of these different racial groups. So for example, you know, the, I think the incentive or the idea that was introduced with BE in the beginning, I think that was, for me, that was great because it allowed, you know, um, it allowed black people um, a chance as well to be able to own businesses, but mm. also create employment for each other, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's many companies that I know that are um, full on, they only uh, employ, I think, black people or it's a yeah. black owned or black based owned company you know mm-hmm. and that for me those incentives are great because it's giving opportunities to black people that they never had before mm-hmm. and in that way like i said you know it's black people are then able to you know better their circumstances but not only just better their circumstances but they're able to you know give back to their community create jobs for 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 fellow black people so that they're also able to you know to um, to change their their lives, their circumstances, and in that way, we're then able to build black people up, you know, in these black communities. Because once, you know, as a black person, I feel like once I'm given those opportunities to to better myself and stuff like that, you know, the my mindset should be, you know, I need to give back to the same community that I came from, you know, before um, before I had all of this. That way, you know, things like building libraries in in these mm-hmm. black communities where, you know, children, students are able to go to these places where they can attain knowledge. You know, they can pick up books, they can read, they can have resources mm-hmm. when doing assignments. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are able to also be afforded the same opportunity that, you know, uh, another child in the suburbs would have, you know instead of now having to struggle to find resources to complete academic um, academic work and stuff. So we look at libraries. I think libraries are very important, um, mm. not just for academic work, but also for the development of a child, you know, reading, mm-hmm. literacy skills. Yeah. Um, I think also, and I know the RDP is, you know, the RDP is, is, is one program that aims to, um, give black people better housing and stuff, but th- there's been so many complaints about the RDP, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the, the program, yeah. how some people have been waiting for years, True. you know, on, on the list, because obviously there's a list. Some people have been waiting for years, you know, to, to finally get, you know, adequate housing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we need to go back and look at, you know, our systems, our systems effective, you know, or our systems um, effective, um, are they working efficiently for the benefit of black people or the same systems that are in place, are they dead in the water? You know, that's something that we need to be 
honest about. So evaluate the progress, um, the progress that we've made since implementing these systems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think housing is one and also healthcare. It's, it's so crazy for me to hear that, you know, someone can go to a hospital. Um, I heard this um, the other day from a relative of mine. You know, she went to the hospital because she she started coming off with symptoms of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And when she went, she obviously, um, they took her in because her symptoms were, were clear, you know. She had the cough, temperature, everything. And when they, she obviously then feared that, you know, my daughter has been staying in the same house because she stays with her daughter. So it's like the two of them. So mm-hmm. she, you know, thought further ahead and said, you know, I think my daughter should also go and get herself tested at um, public um, facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, her, I think her sister came and picked up her daughter to go to this public facility and requested to be tested. And they refused to test her because she did not bear the symptoms. Mm. And I just don't know how we are now denying, you know, because that's denial of access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Because my my thinking is that with the with the seriousness of the situation and how rapid it's spreading, we should mm-hmm. not be in a place where we're turning people away because they don't bear the symptoms or they don't, you know, show their symptoms of, you know, of um, this virus. Mm-hmm. So it's a thing of like people. Everyone deserves equal access to healthcare. Black people deserve equal access to healthcare. And the thing is, she now had to make a plan for a child to go get tested at a private um, facility, a private um, institution. But that obviously requires a lot of money, you know. Yeah, financial uh, backing. You know what I mean? It now requires her to um, to take money out of her pocket and pay for her daughter to be tested. So that, for me, in itself, is problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to that point how we definitely need to ensure that everyone has access to healthcare um, and adequate healthcare you know going to, to a public facility a public hospital and being told that there's no medication or they've ran out of medication now patients obviously now have to be turned away and as they wait you know to receive a call um, that the medication has arrived they health you know their conditions are deteriorating so that's you know that's one thing that we also need to look at is are the systems and policies that we've put in place are they efficient are they working effectively mm-hmm. you know um so yeah those are just some of the things that i could think of the top of my head but i'm sure there are, plenty, there are plenty more things that you know we you know, we can do, and when I say we, you know, I'm talking about the government, those who are put in, you know, positions of authority, but also we as people who are put in places of privilege, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just giving back to the community, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I agree with you. I think also, that, like, the one thing that you said, I think um, a major part of our reforms, uh, I think you used maybe the like the best word I could use to say they should start becoming intentional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in the sense that our reform should no longer a, a reform should not be taking a gamble. You know, to say that yeah. uh, 
we basically put in this reform and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't you know a reform mm. should be very intentional in what it wants to achieve a reform yeah. should be adamant to fail so it should a reform should not be something that we take lightly to say that oh if it fails it does if it doesn't you know a reform should yeah. Yeah. be very intentional and should be very clear in its objectives and it should refuse to fail in some sense you know um, so I think that's definitely something that needs to be looked at because I think there are some reforms that are in place, obviously, but they not they don't follow through with them. They're not very intentional in the things they do. Yeah. So I think that has to be looked at. And I think the, the, the other idea that I had was, you know, uh, obviously these are, these are things like, I think, like you said, that uh, people in leadership have to take up. Mm-hmm. But the other idea that I had was that I think um, with things that are important to people, meaning uh, when we allude to healthcare, when we allude to education systems, mm-hmm. that these things should start, um, I think should start being standardized. So a school without maybe a library, for instance, should not be allowed yeah. to be registered. A school, a school has yeah. to have a library. Um, mm-hmm. Healthcare systems should um, have a specific amount of beds, for instance, should have yeah. uh, wards that are separated in a very specific sense. And these are things that should be followed through with and should be checked on. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think um, for for long, what also happens in our in our country is that um, people promise things and never follow through with things. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, we have officials yeah. who promise a lot of things, but they never follow through because mm-hmm. there's no sense of accountability um, that ministers have or a sense of accountability that leadership has altogether as a whole. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I think those are things that should start being taken into account. So. I think there should be standardized like standards for everything in the country because yeah. a healthcare system in a normal proper country should function in the sense that somebody should be able to use either private or public and not fear for their life in one or the mm-hmm. other. You know, it should be it should be a decision purely based off if you then decide to choose private healthcare, it, could, it should be a decision of, you know, I just chose to. But it should never be a yeah. situation where you know that by going to the one you're putting your life at risk as compared to, as compared to going to the other. So sure. That's definitely something that has to be put in place. I think the standardizing like of these uh, systems. Then I know the the one that um, usually people touch on, but uh, yeah. it's never like maybe like followed through with. I think it's like land land reform. Land reform definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely a chat that uh, needs to be looked at thoroughly. You know, um, yeah. I think when you when you think of land reform, I, I had a couple of figures that I had written down, and it said that the the nations all the, the nation's private um, farms had 72% of them were owned by white people. You know, 72% of uh, all private um, farms in the country are owned by white people. Whereas 14% are state-controlled and uh, the other being the rest. Then 14% obviously is what's, what was left to black and colored people. Yeah. So it's 14%. Which is a bit of an absurd number if we if we go back to the idea that eighty percent of the population in the country is yeah, black, you know, black, and yeah. in a country obviously in an African country more than anything, we know that a lot of the wealth in the country is generated from um, agriculture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something we can never like we we can't take that out completely because we're still a developing country, a developing state. So a lot of our income comes from agriculture, meaning that. Yeah. If you're giving a specific group to control 72% of the country's um, farms, essentially you're, you're giving 72% of the people, 72% of the wealth to these specific group of people mm-hmm. because that's where majority of the wealth comes from. So I think yeah. that's something that land reform has to be taken up, but I think it ought to be done cautiously and carefully because you'd want to also 
give it to the wrong hands that won't utilize it because sure. land reform or farming agriculture in general is a very pivotal um industry in our country in terms of the running of the economy altogether and then i think you did touch on it to say that housing should also be looked at um i think even above and beyond housing i think even loans basically mm-hmm. applications that i think black people take should not go through um certain rigorous processes so a black person trying to get a loan should not have to be subjected to to a background check maybe not necessarily a background check being taken out completely, but it should not be extensive to the point where you want to look at maybe what they own, what they don't own, because we're coming from a place of having nothing altogether, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for a lot of black folk, just being able to own certain things is enough for them. So when you do the background check, you might be surprised that their credit history might not be that great, but that's because they're coming from a place of having little to nothing. So I think in terms of the processes that uh, or the pro- screening processes that black people go through, uh, whether it's housing, whether it's loans, whether mm-hmm. it's what, I think there should be a slight difference. Uh, there mm-hmm. should be a tweak in what we have to, what we are criticized on in terms of like when you're going yeah. through uh, screening processes because where we're coming from is also very different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we, you can't actively see where we're trying to go if you don't know where we're coming from. So that can't be like negated. Like we can't just negate that completely. And you're going to screen sure. a black person as you would a white person. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that's something that definitely should, um, a, a solution that I think would, would do like a great amount of good to, to a lot of black South Africans and black people in the country. Sure. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. I think it, you know, I agree with what you were saying wholeheartedly and uh, one thing it proves to me is that there's a long way to go, mm-hmm. even though we thought that, you know, the worst is over. Yeah. Um, you know, our parents' generation probably thought that, you know, the worst was over in terms of, you know, they were, some of them, yes, don't have their dream jobs, but they were able to go to certain um, tertiary institutions to further their education, mm-hmm. you know, and were able to put us through good schools and you know tertiary education and all that stuff but i think it's so apparent to our generation that man the race has not been won yet you know mm-hmm. it's it's a full-on marathon you know it is not a sprint and mm-hmm. unfortunately you know not to the same extent but we still fighting for the same things that our parents were fighting for obviously mm-hmm. not to to that extent because they had you know, their situation was definitely, you know, greater than ours. But, you know, we're still fighting for unemployment because unemployment among the youth is, is quite ripe. You know, it's quite high. Um, things like, um, I think one thing we mentioned as well was just the affordability of opportunities. You know, uh, many black people, when they leave the schooling system, you know, from uh, primary to high school, when they leave, they don't have the luxury to take gap years. Some don't have the luxury to take gap years, have the luxury to go straight into, into you know, working for parents' companies or, you know, having connections that could further them without having to go the normal route of going to varsity and stuff. 